0: Well, open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans. Um, if you are new today, we uh, generally walk through books of the Bible here. And right now, we are walking through the book of Romans. And so, if you'll turn to the end of Romans chapter 3, we're going to look this morning at uh, the latter part of Romans 3 and then all of chapter 4. We're talking today about growing in faith. This passage is about how the fe- that we are made right with God by faith. And then God wants to grow us. He wants to strengthen us in our faith. And so let's look together, uh, beginning at the end of Romans 3 and verse 29, and then we will move through the fourth chapter. Romans 3 and beginning with verse 29. I'll ask you to stand in honor of God's word as we look at it together. The Apostle Paul is the author of Romans here, and he asks in verse 29, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace And be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law. But also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all. As it is written. I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God. In whom he believed. Who gives life to the dead. And calls into existence. The things that do not exist. In hope. He believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken. In faith, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God that he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You may be seated. Let's pray together. And so Father, we come now to your word And we ask that your spirit would help us to understand it. We pray for anyone here who has not yet been made right through faith in Christ. That today would be a day of new beginnings. That your spirit would work in their lives. And that they would see the love and the beauty of the Savior. And turn from sin and turn to Jesus. To trust him and follow him. We pray for those of us who already know Jesus that we would grow in our faith, that we would be strengthened in our faith, and that you would show us how that can happen today as well. So this is a rich text, Lord, and we need the help of your Spirit to understand it and to apply it to work in our lives now, and we ask that you would do it right now. Meet with us in the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Between April and July of 1994, 800 Thousand people were murdered in the African nation of Rwanda as as militias that were from the the Hutu tribe undertook a, a campaign of genocide against another tribe the the, the Tutsi uh, tribe. But in the the city of Ruhanga, there was a group of, of Christians that had gathered for refuge. Thir- 15,500 Christians had gathered in the city for refuge. And when the the militias came, they tried to get these, these followers of Jesus to separate themselves by tribe. And the Christians refused to separate. They said, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We will not separate by tribe. And for that, they were all killed, gunned down, and dumped into a mass grave. They would rather be killed together than separate themselves from their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the kind of unity the Bible calls for. The body of Christ—that's the kind of unity that Paul is calling for in the Book of Romans. You see, the church at Rome was a, a multicultural, multi-ethnic church. It was made up of people from a Gentile, a non-Jewish background, and people from a Jewish background, and they were trying to figure out, you know, how do we do life together in the same church? Because they were very different. They had different backgrounds. Uh, the, the, the Jewish followers of Jesus had been raised uh, with the, kind of the, the Old Testament law and things like circumcision uh, being like a huge deal for them. Uh, the Gentile believers had been raised with none of that being a big deal for them. And so it, it caused all kinds of of Questions and issues that they had to, to work through as as one body of Christ. That's part of what Paul is dealing with in Romans. That's what he's dealing with here in the latter part of chapter three and in chapter four. And what he wants them and us to see is that all human beings are, first of all, made right with God by faith in Christ. And then he wants us to see how we can grow in our faith. In Christ, The first thing that we see here at the end of chapter 3 is that we are made right by faith. That we are made right with God. Every human being is made right with God in only one way, and that is through faith in, in Jesus and what he has done. So let's look at uh, verse 29 and in the beginning of verse 30. Paul asks, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. In other words, he's saying here that, listen, the very nature of God demands this kind of unity because there is one true God who created all human beings in his own image. Now, it is true that in the Old Testament, God chooses one group of people, the Jewish people, for a special mission. But even in that, the purpose is unity because the mission of Israel was to bring the rest of the world back to the one true God so that everyone would worship the one true God together. So God's plan in choosing Israel was not for them to sort of be a a cul-de-sac of his blessings, but to be a channel of his blessings to the rest of the world. It's the same thing with the church. We come here, we study the word of God, we get built up in the faith so that we can go out and spread it to others. That's what Operation Suffolk was all about. These students gathered in homes, they studied the Bible together, they came together for worship and got built up together, but then they went out and served in their community. And that's to be like a paradigm of what we're to do. As Michael said earlier, that we are to, to go, we're to be on mission. We, we get built up in order to, to go and, and, and bless others, okay? And that was God's purpose for, for Israel. And then he says at the end of verse 30 that God will, will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of circumcision uh, this morning. You can have a chat about that after the service if you'd like. But what he's talking about here, when he talks about circumcised and uncircumcised, in the first century, that was another way of saying Jewish people and non-Jewish people, right? So circumcision was something that in the first century was exclusively associated with the Jewish people. And what is he saying here? He says, when he says God will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith, he is saying that both Jewish people and Gentile people are both made right with God. Remember from last week that word justified means to be made right with God. So he's saying here that both Jewish people and non-Jewish people, all human beings, are made right with God in the very same way. And that is through faith in Jesus and what he has done. And we saw this last week in verses 23 and following. So let's go back there. Paul said there, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So in other words, the good news comes to us as a gift What Jesus has done for us in dying for our sins and rising from the dead, this good news comes to us as a gift, but it's like any gift. For it become ours, what must we do? We must receive this gift. And the way that we receive this gift is by faith, by trusting in what Jesus has done for us. And every human being is saved that way. Now, Paul knew that this raised all kinds of questions, particularly with people like him who came from a Jewish background because they asked, okay, so, you know, does this mean that like all of God's law in the Old Testament is just sort of like thrown overboard? And he's gonna deal with that here in, in verse 31. What does he say? He says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So Paul is saying here that the gospel is not an overthrow of the law. It is actually a fulfillment of God's law. How so? Because first of all, only Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. Every other human being falls pathetically short of obedience to the law of God. I mean, like all of us have transgressed the law of God in like a a million ways, okay? We have all been epic fails in our, our obedience to God's law. None of us has come close to loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, or loving our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, we have transgressed that law in a million ways. We have failed to live up to it in a million ways, but there was one who fulfilled it perfectly. And Jesus not only fulfilled all of the positive demands of God's law through his perfect life, but through his atoning death on the cross, he fulfilled the penalty of the law for sin when he took our sins upon himself and died for them. And so Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the law. That's part of what Paul is saying here. But he's also probably alluding to something else, and it's something that we kind of dealt with when we were in chapter 2, and that is that when we come to Christ by grace through faith, God's Holy Spirit enters our lives, and he begins to to transform us, and we begin, you know, God's law is about love. Right, it's about loving God. It's about loving others, and when the Spirit of God comes into our lives, then we we begin to to, to love God in a way that we didn't before. You know, Charles Spurgeon gives a, a great illustration about how it's only through the the gospel that that we can truly love God like this. Spurgeon uh, would tell a story. About a about a, a simple farmer in in England, poor poor small farmer, and and this guy grew carrots on his little farm, and so one day uh, he's in his his carrot field and he and he digs up like the perfect carrot. I mean, it's just this big, beautiful carrot, and the farmer says, "This is a carrot uh, befitting of a king," and so. He gets on his horse and he, and he rides to, uh, to, to London and he somehow obtains an audience before the, the king of, Eng, of England. And so he walks in before the king and he places the carrot <laughs> at the king's feet and he says, oh king, you have always been such a, a wonderful monarch. You've always been good. You've always been fair. And, and as a token of my love and my appreciation for you, I wanna to present to you this carrot, and the king saw the sincerity of this man, and he was deeply touched, and he said, I want to thank you for your precious gift, and he said, I want you to know that I own all of the land around your little carrot farm, and as an expression of my love for you, my son, I want to give you all of this land. Well, one of the king's noblemen was standing nearby, and he heard this exchange, and this nobleman said to himself, my goodness, you know, if, 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 he'll, if he'll do all that for somebody who brings him a dumb carrot, you know, what would he do if somebody brings him a real gift? And so the, this crafty nobleman goes out that night, and he gets a horse, this majestic stallion, and the next day he brings it before the king and presents it to him and he says, oh king, you have always been such a wonderful king, so good and so fair and as a token of my love for you, I'd like to present to you this horse. And the wise king saw through the ruse and he said, you know, yesterday the farmer uh, gave, um, gave me his carrot, but today you've you brought the horse for yourself. And you see, as long as we believe that we have to make ourselves acceptable to God through our works, we're always going to be playing a game of trying to manipulate God and con him. And, and, but, but, but see, when we understand the gospel, when we understand that we are accepted, by, accepted and loved by God purely on the basis of what Jesus has done for us, then then we can begin to truly love him. Love him with no ulterior motive. Just just love God as God because we know that he loves us. We know that we're already accepted by him based not on our own works but on the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And when you know that, then the response of your heart is love and you're free to really love God purely from your heart for the first time and to love other people for the first, first time. Which is kind of really what God's law is is all about. And so, the first thing that he's telling us here is that we're made right by faith. And then, in chapter 4, he gives us two Old Testament examples of what he's talking about. So, Paul, in, in trying to help his fellow Jewish people understand this, would point to a couple of their heroes. Who did they look up to? They looked up to Abraham. They looked up to David. And so he asks the question here, okay, so how was Abraham made right with God? How was David made right with God? Verses one and two, Abraham. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. In in other words, you know, if Abraham or or any other person for that matter, if if we could be made right with God by our own works, we would have something to boast about. I mean, we would be able to to put God in our debt. And we would be able to kind of puff our chest out and stand in the presence of God and say, God, you owe me. Well, that's gross, right? That's repugnant. And and Paul is just kind of exposing the, the grossness of that. He says at the end of verse 2, not before God. No one can do that before God. It's nonsensical. So how was Abraham made right with God? It was not through his works. It was by faith. Verse 3. For what does the scripture say? And then he's going to quote from Genesis 15, 6, which which was a, a, a verse of scripture that the Jewish people revered. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham was not saved by his doing. He was saved by trusting in God. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. Now the word "counted here, very important in Romans. Sometimes it's translated as, as, uh, as credited or, or uh, reckoned. it's uh, translated as "counted here, but it's a very important term. It comes The Greek word came from the world of accounting, and it meant to, to count as, that God counted Abraham as righteous. And it does not mean that God looked at abraham 's faith as sort of a meritorious work, um, and that somehow he, he gave he gave him favor because uh, because of the, of the of the merit of his faith no it meant that God considered or counted Abraham as being righteous even though he was still a sinner. How how did he do that? New Testament scholar Douglas Moose says this, if we compare other verses in which the same grammatical construction is used as in Genesis 15, 6, we arrive at the conclusion that the crediting or counting of Abraham's faith as righteousness means to account to him a righteousness that does not inherently belong to him. Because you see, Abraham didn't have an inherent righteousness. He had inherent sin. Just like we don't have an inherent righteousness. We have inherent sin. What we need is a righteousness, not our own. We need to be covered with somebody else's righteousness. And the only one who is perfectly righteous is Jesus. And see, God was able to count Abraham with the righteousness of Christ because he knew that Christ was coming to die for the sins of Abraham and the sins of all who will turn to Jesus and trust him. And then he looks at another example and that's David, verses 6 through 8. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then Paul quotes from one of David's psalms, Psalm 32, where David says, "'Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin.'" So David was a great king. David was a great leader. David was a a, a great man, but David was also a great sinner. How was he going to be saved? Because he had a greater Savior, a Savior who was greater than his sin. And it's very obvious here from what David writes in Psalm 32, what he was trusting in. But he was not trusting. David was not trusting in his own righteousness to make him right with God. No, he was trusting in what? In the forgiveness of God. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. He, he, he was trusting in the fact that, that somehow God was not going to count his sin against him. How could, how could he do that? How could God not count his sin against David or against us? See it in this word covered. Blessed is the man whose, whose sins are, are covered. The, the way that a holy righteous God can, can, can avoid counting all of our sins against us is because those sins are covered by the, the blood of the one who died for us so that we can be covered in the righteousness of Christ. We sung it earlier in the service, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. It's all because of of Jesus and his righteousness. And David looked forward to that by faith. It's the only way that anyone can be saved is through what Jesus has done for us. So verses nine and 10, Paul asks, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. This is a powerful, this, is, this would be sort of like a, you know, a, a, a mic drop moment This sort of, or a courtroom drama. This would be a moment when just, you know, you could hear a pen drop. Paul is saying here to uh, sort of his, his, his fellow Jews who were all over him for accepting these uncircumcised Gentiles into the church, Paul would, would say to them, look guys, Abraham, when was he made right with God? Was it when he was circumcised? No. He was made right with God long before that ever happened. How? By faith. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. God gave the sign of circumcision to Abraham and the Jewish people later as a sign that he, had, he, had, he was setting them apart from the rest of the world to be on mission to the world, to bring salvation to the world, not circumcision to the rest of the world. Which is what he says here in verses 11 and 12. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, growing up, we learned the song, Father Abraham. And uh, we learned all kinds of hand motions and foot motions uh, with this song. So the song went... Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so were you. So let's just praise the Lord right arm. We'll stop there, okay? But, uh, so, was Father Abraham part of your worship set for Operation Suffolk? I think it Michael, you need to bring back Father Abraham, okay? Because some good theology in Father Abraham. Now, growing up, Those words are so ingrained in me, I can remember them decades later. I didn't have a clue what that song was all about. But that song was about verses 11 and 12 and verse 16 of Romans 4. Because it's saying that if you have been made right with God by faith, that you are a son or daughter of Abraham who was also made right with God by faith. So let's just praise the Lord, right? Praise the Lord for his grace that we are sons and daughters of Abraham and therefore brothers and sisters in Christ and sons and daughters of the king. Now, do you see how all of this bears on the unity of the church? Because Paul is saying here, look, no matter what ethnic background that you come from, we are all on level. We are all made right with God the same way. We're, we're all by faith sons and daughters of Abraham, and ultimately sons and daughters of, of of the King. So we are we are one. We've seen beautiful examples of this. The beautiful example at our own church. So we have an, an Arab brother who is is like a part of our family. I don't usually say his name because of the. The, the, the podcast or, or whatever, but, but, but you know him. And he preached here just a few weeks ago. Um, and then we had a, a Jewish brother, now with the Lord, Stuart, part of our church family. And this Jewish brother loved this Arab brother and was a part of his ministry and, and part of this Jewish brother's Estate, when he went home to be with the Lord, was given to this Arab brother to go and tell people about the Savior who had saved both of them and brought them together as one. So you look at the news, uh, but Jews and Arabs are supposed to like hate each other. Not in the church of Jesus Christ because he makes us One. One, And so all of those ethnic divisions and, and, and racial divisions and socioeconomic divisions, all of those things are torn down by the gospel as we are all one in, in him. Let's talk about growing strong in our faith. That's the, the last thing that we see here. So um, not only... Is Abraham an example of someone who was made right with God by faith, but also someone who grew strong in his faith? Now, I want to kind of set the stage here for what's going on in the latter part of chapter 4. The deal with Abraham is that God had made a promise to him that he was going to be the father of many nations, that God was going to bless the world through his offspring, um, and as time went on, uh, there, was, there was a problem <laughs> in Abraham's eyes, and the problem was that he was like 100 years old, and his wife Sarah was 90, um, and, and yet this, this child of the promise had, had not yet come, and that sets the stage for For Abraham's faith. So let's look at um, at verses 17 and 18. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, what does this tell us about faith? First of all, it tells us that faith, unlike a lot of people believe, faith is not like this blind leap in the dark. Abraham believed God because he knew the kind of God that God is. God is the kind of God who can bring into existence the things that do not exist. In other words, he spoke this world into existence out of nothing, He is a God who can raise the dead. And if he can speak the world into existence out of nothing, bring into existence things that do not exist just through the word of his power. And if he can raise the dead, hey, this is a God who can be trusted. His promises can be believed. So it's not like a blind leap in the dark. Abraham is believing God based on who God is. And so one of the best things that you can do to strengthen your faith in God is to read your Bible. Dig into your Bible so that you see the kind of God that he is. And that he is a God who keeps his promises. And so it says here in verse 18 that in hope he believed Against hope. In other words, he believed in spite of the circumstances that he could see around him because his faith was not based on what he could see, it was based on what God had said. Faith is clinging to the promises of God. Gavin Ortland says this Surely we also will have in hope against hope moments when we must cling to the promises of God against all appearances this is part of what faith is so there're going to be times in our lives when you know we face things and we just can't see how how this is all going to work out like how is how is God going to work this out right but it's it's in those moments, if we will trust the Lord based on who he is, that we give him glory. And when we strength grow stronger in our own faith, look at verses 19 and following. It says of Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So when you trust the Lord in the middle of seemingly impossible circumstances— there are some things that happen simultaneously. First of all, when you believe God in those moments, you bring delight to his heart. God loves it when his people will simply trust him. When you read the gospels, the thing that brings Jesus the most joy is when people would just trust him with the faith of a little child. And so you delight the heart of God when you trust him. The second thing that you do when you trust him in the middle of seemingly impossible situations is is that you honor God as God. Remember chapter one? What's What's the root problem with human beings? Paul says there in chapter one, it's because they did not honor God as God. But when you trust him, You are saying, God, I believe you are who you say you are. And that honors him. You are honoring God as God. The third thing is that when you trust him, you grow in your faith. Your own faith is strengthened. It says that Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. When you trust the Lord and you see his faithfulness to come through, then what happens? Your faith gets stronger, right? And you're able to, because you've seen the faithfulness of God, you've seen God coming through, and that just grows your faith. And you saw how God put together a situation where you didn't have any idea how in the world is this gonna work out? And you saw the faithfulness of God, you saw him coming through, and what does that do? That builds your faith to trust him even more. I had a great faith building experience yesterday. So um, yesterday morning, for some reason, I decided that it would be a good idea to get out of my house and go study at Starbucks It might have had something to do with the fact that we had uh, 17 high school girls in our house, and uh, no, they were really, they were super sweet. The night before, Friday night, the, the, you all didn't make a sound. I mean, you were, they came in, they were so quiet. I think they were all upstairs in my study reading my books upstairs. Didn't hear them. Out. In fact, I think I was louder than they were. They were watching the UVA basketball game. Uh, probably, I was the one making making the noise. They were they were really quiet. But I had I had a sneaky suspicion that after a night's rest, when they all kind of woke up and came downstairs together, um, that. Uh, there might be a little bit of uh, noise and movement all around, so I said, I, "I need to. I need to study. I need to get ready to preach. To preach tomorrow, and and kind of, kind of, kind of go over this message one more time. So I'm, I'm going to go to go to Starbucks and and study. So I go into Starbucks and get my Bible out and and everything. And and then uh, after a while, I look up and I see another guy come in, and he's he's kind of sitting across the way. And Starbucks and you know he gets he gets his ESV study Bible out and he's got he's got his notes out and everything and and I'm like wow you know this looks like a brother in Christ and and I could tell you know I, I know the look I could tell he, he was getting ready to he was working on something you know like he was either a Sunday school teacher or pastor or something and and getting ready to, to teach others and so I'm like oh that's really cool I don't I don't I've never seen this guy before I have to go over and go over and meet him before I leave and so um, when I got done uh, studying, by the time I got done, I, I looked over and this other couple had come in and, and sat beside this guy and the, their tables were like joined together. So they were kind of like right on top of him. And I could tell there's this conversation that's developed between this, this guy and, and this couple. And I, I had a suspicion that maybe it was a gospel conversation. And so I didn't want to like, Barge into the middle of that, and so I just kind of breathed a prayer, and I said, Lord, um, I I just I pray for this conversation that's happening right now, and uh, and and I pray that maybe maybe you'll give me another chance to to meet this brother and and encourage him. I didn't think anything else about it. Left Starbucks last night. I walk into the church, and the first person I see is a Starbucks guy, <laughs> the guy who had his Bible open. And so I walked up to him and I introduced myself. And it turns out that it's Cody, the the, the guest speaker for Operation Suffolk. And uh, and so, yeah, I said, hey, I saw you over with your Bible and and uh, you know. And so I, I said, tell me about. I, I was going to come over, but I saw you were talking to these people or whatever, and I didn't want to intrude. I said, you know, tell me, tell me about the, that conversation. And he said, oh. It was a great conversation. <laughs> he said, because they came over and they saw my Bible was open and they said, we've got all kinds of questions and issues about the Bible and religion. And, and, and Cody said to himself, this is exactly why God put you here right now beside me. And so he said it was, it was a pretty, pretty amazing conversation, kind of a divine appointment of a conversation. And you see, God does things like this all all the time. Right? He's putting those people there. He's putting me there to see this and to pray. And like he's putting Cody there and see when you see God at work, kind of like all around you, just in the course of everyday life, and you see that this, this God is moving and he's working and he's, he's doing things that blow our minds, the more that you see this, the more that you say, hey, this is a God who can be trusted. This is a God who can be trusted with anything. That's who he is. And Paul finishes with this amazing statement about Jesus in verse 25. And I'm not going to linger here long because we're going to look at this again next week. But he says here at the end of the chapter of Jesus, he says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. They grabbed him in the garden of Gethsemane and placed him under arrest and bound him and delivered him over to Pilate and Herod, delivered him over to a mock trial and then delivered him over to the cross. It's all because of our sin. He was delivered for our trespasses. Jesus was delivered up For our sins so that we could be delivered from our sins. And then it says that he was raised for our justification. That's an interesting phrase because usually when we think about justification, we think of it as connected to his work on the cross. But Paul says he he was, he was raised for our justification. But see, how do we know that God accepted the sacrifice that Jesus had made for us on the cross? Because he raised him from the dead. And so, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So how do we know that those who have died in Christ, how, how do we know that they haven't just kind of gone into a state of nothingness? How do we know that we're not still in our sins? It's because Jesus was raised from the dead. to of to the missionaries that we support as a church. Randy and Kathy, Arnett were killed in a car accident this week in, in the Congo. One of the things that we don't often think about when we think about missionaries is just kind of the not only sort of other we think of other sorts of dangers, but a lot of times just the just the, the means of travel. And uh, this was a nation where just hardly any paved roads or things like that and and so Randy and Kathy, uh, suddenly this week, were called. To, God called them home. Their time was their time here was done, and, and they were summoned. They were summoned home. God called them to uh, to be with with Him. But how do we know that? How do we know that Randy and Kathy Arnett didn't spend 31 years in sub-Saharan Africa giving their lives for the gospel? How do we know that wasn't all in vain? How do we know that they're actually with Jesus today and not just sort of faded into nothingness? It's because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Billy Graham once said this. He said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just to change my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. That's because Jesus died for our sins, and it's because Jesus rose from the dead. Let's pray. As we just reflect before God, I would, I would friend, I would ask you, what about you? The Bible says we're not even promised tomorrow. We could be summoned before God at any moment. Our lives could end very suddenly. Do you know that you would go to be in the presence of God? Do you know that you would go to be with Christ? Well, if Christ is your Savior and Lord, then you will go to be with him. But if he's not, and we'll be separated from him forever because of our sin. There was one who died for sins and he rose from the dead. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If you don't, then turn to him. Turn to Jesus right now, right where you're seated. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved call to Jesus right now say Lord save me I turn from trying to do life apart from you my own way and I turn to you and I trust you I I believe that your son died for my sins and that he was raised from the dead and I want to be united to Christ by faith and so Lord Jesus right now I trust in you I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Come into my life and take control. Make that the prayer of your heart today. So Father, work now in our lives in this time of of decision, we pray. Thank you for the work of Jesus. In his name we ask it, amen. In a moment, we're gonna stand together and sing. And if you're here today and you wanna talk with someone or pray with someone, about what it means to follow Jesus. We're here for you. We're here for you during this time of invitation. We will be here for you after uh, this service today. We would love to come alongside you. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family, we wanna celebrate with you. We wanna welcome you. And we wanna, wanna invite you to come as we stand and sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.